I love a good podcast, as you know, and I'm always happy to share resources for parents who are looking for creative, smart content that both entertains and offers enrichment for curious kids everywhere. So I'm happy to let you know about this awesome new show from the creators of the hit kids podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild, The Adventurous World of Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as Math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time, packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs. The series explores themes that kids like ours love, like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code breaking, pattern solving, and more. And episodes transport kids into iconic periods in history like Pythagoras's Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England. So cool. New episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, a perfect length for those car rides, for meal times, for break times, and bedtimes. What I love about this show is that it's kind of like listening to a book on tape. The story is captivating and includes lots of problems listeners can try to solve. The voice actors are fantastic, and the math concepts are seamlessly weaved into the narrative. It's exactly the kind of show Ash would have loved a few years ago, especially during our homeschool years, because finding that perfect blend of entertaining and educating, it isn't always easy. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. When we look at the way we're conditioned in at least North American culture, for sure in other countries as well, but when a child is upset, we're conditioned to either offer reassurance, redirection, or problem solving as a first step. And so naturally, things are going to escalate and blow up in those toughest moments because when you lead with reassurance or distraction or redirection or problem solving, when emotions are high, it can actually make things worse. Welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. If you ever find yourself stuck about exactly what to say in response to your kids, especially in challenging moments, this episode is for you. My guest is Dr. Adele LaFrance, a clinical psychologist and research scientist with a passion for helping parents support their kids in a way that is informed by the latest developments in neuroscience. She's also the author of the new book, What to Say to Kids When Nothing Seems to Work. And if the title alone doesn't convince you, I can vouch this book is full of the kind of practical and concrete advice that reflects both her clinical experience in working with families and her personal experience as a step-parent to a differently wired child. So in this conversation, Adele is going to share some of that knowledge with us, including helpful scripts for common parenting scenarios, tips for building understanding and empathy during difficult moments. I know I could use more of that. And insights into why our cultural emotional conditioning often works against us as parents. I definitely had a few aha moments during this conversation. I hope listening does the same for you. Okay. Now we're going to get onto our conversation with Adele about what to say to kids when nothing seems to work. Hey, Adele, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. My pleasure to have you. I'm so glad that you reached out to me and you were kind enough to share your book with me, which I can't wait to get into because I just absolutely loved it. But can you take a few minutes before we do that? And just 
introduce yourself to us. Tell us a little bit about what you do in the world. Of course. Yeah. So I'm a psychologist. I'm originally from Canada and now living, working, practicing in the United States. I have um, a history of researching emotion and family-based healing um, for you know a number of years. So yeah, this book is basically the fruit of many years of putting together uh, tips, tricks, scripts for parents who I've met in different contexts who were looking for some concrete strategies to kind of get through the toughest moments at home. So you just spoke my audience's language, concrete strategies to get through the toughest moments in our home. Yes, that's music to our ears, which again, when I got your email, and then I had a chance to look at your book, I read it very quickly. I get a lot of books, but I really flew through your book. And I wrote right back to you. And I said, we need to bring you on the show. So your new book is called What to Say to Kids When Nothing Seems to Work. So you know, you just said you've been collecting these tips and tricks and scripts. Tell us a little bit more about why you really wanted to get this book out there and then what you do in the book. Thanks. Um, so I, well, I've worked as a psychologist for over a decade now, and mostly with parents of kids who were struggling in one way or another. So I've worked in the school system and pediatric rehab and hospital settings and mental health. And I would try to distill the best of the neuroscience that I was learning into simple tricks so that parents could bring more calm to the home environment. And over and over again, they would say that they'd wish someone had taught them these strategies long before, or even in the actual sessions, they would ask me like, write down what you just said. Can you just write that down? And so we thought, okay, we actually need to write a book with all of these things that we write down so often for parents in need. Um, because they really work and they don't work all of the time. They don't bring the situation from total chaos to total calm. But many, many, many times parents have said, wow, this was different or wow, we avoided some unnecessary suffering at the very least. So in honor of those parents, step parents, foster parents, all the people that we've been working with over the years, you know, we wanted to bring the best of what we've learned to the everyday family including, you know, what to say to kids when nothing seems to work. Well, I think it makes sense that the parents you're working with had that reaction. And I used to say that to people all the time, like, okay, tell me exactly what to say, because it is not knowing, right? It's not having a plan. And then being in these situations, when we have our worst parenting moments, at least I do, you know, if I'm not prepared, I let my emotions run the show And I say things I regret, I make parenting decisions that are, you know, ramping my family up to a higher level. And so I that's what I I think is so powerful about this work. So one of the things that I loved about your book is that, first of all, it's a very organized approach. As someone who's written a number of books on kind of how to do things and trying to convey what could be complicated concepts to people in a way they can get it, I thought your book did such an excellent job of breaking down an approach that we can apply really to any situation. So, you know, you talk about presenting the situation, then there's the knee-jerk reaction that we have, then, you know, you talk about building a bridge, putting it into words, and then you offer these practical considerations, you highlight pitfalls, and then you encourage the parent to reflect. So I just, those are the things you do for every situation. What I would love for you to do if you're up for it, is just walk us through 
that approach in a common scenario that listeners of my podcast would be familiar with? Would you be up for doing that? Absolutely. Yeah, with pleasure. I can uh, use one that I've used very frequently, both in the school system, in my clinical practice, but also at home. So one of my kiddos has a learning disability. And so, you know, when I write some of this content, it's not just as a professional, it's also as a step parent. And one of the scenarios that I really like to talk about is when a kid comes home and says, I hate reading, or I suck at reading, or, you know, something along the lines of homework. But if we use reading specifically, we can move through those different steps if you think that's a good example to start off with. Yeah, sure. It sounds great. Okay. So let's imagine a child who is differently wired comes to us and says, I hate reading. We want to first build a bridge. So building a bridge is a mental exercise. It can take half a second. It can take 30 seconds. But the idea is to imagine the child in their world saying these words, where is it coming from? When I put myself into the world of a child who's in elementary school or in high school, and they are differently wired, and they say, I hate reading, what I've learned, what I've come to hear is, this is really hard for me. It's very frustrating. It doesn't give me pleasure, confidence, self-esteem. Uh, I wish I would be doing other things. And so from there, building a bridge, we would then want to put it into words. And some parents and caregivers, even professionals, are hesitant to put into words some of those ideas in case it reinforces in the child a dislike for reading or academics in general. So that's one of the kind of myths that is still alive and well in our culture, that if we put things into words, it can make them true, make them worse, or make them sticky. But what the neuroscience shows is that if you put into words your child's experience and you do it with sincerity, you know, with heart, by speaking what's going on inside, it actually calms the emotional center of the brain. So the idea of feeling heard works because the brain registers that experience and says, okay, we can cool our jets now, we can calm down, the environment cures us. So we've built a bridge, we imagine why it is that a kid might not want to read, we put it into words, and we I use a pretty specific script to help parents get their feet under them. So it would sound like this. I can understand why you would not want to read today because reading is not one of your favorite things to do. And because some of those books just don't reflect your interests. And because I know that other kids are reading at a level 24 and you're reading at a level 16 right now. And that probably doesn't feel good either. Just making those three statements can do wonders to bring down the activation in the limbic system and the emotional center of the brain. It's almost bizarre at times to see the effect. And so what's happening is when you're putting into words their experience, the hypothalamus releases calming neurochemicals. And those calming neurochemicals go to the emotional center of the brain and they, they put out the fire a little bit. And by doing that, what happens is that there's more flexibility now for them to hear your perspective or for them to be guided by you in a way that is redirecting them back to the task or problem solving or even accepting your practical support. 
So you've built a bridge, you've, you've kind of thought like, okay, this is what might be going on for my kid in a way that, you know, puts them in a good light. We're putting it into words in the way that I just described. And now we can get practical. Now we can offer reassurance. Now we can offer togetherness, belief in the, in the child's capacity or practical support. Here, let me help you get started. Why don't you read one page? I'll read the other. So when we put it into words first, we create that brain flexibility, which makes the child more amenable to taking in our emotional support, um, to accepting our practical support. So let me ask you a question then. Do you plan this in advance? Like, Because I imagine knowing what to say on the fly, you know, can be difficult. So do you recommend that parents get a sense of the typical scenarios where, you know, they may not know what to say or that that end in conflict and kind of work this all out ahead of time? Well, there are a couple of ways of approaching it. I love that question because um, this is a new language. When we look at the way we're conditioned in at least North American culture, for sure in other countries as well, but when a child is upset, we're conditioned to either offer reassurance, redirection, or problem solving as a first step. And so naturally, things are going to escalate and blow up in those toughest moments because when you lead with reassurance or distraction or redirection or problem solving, when emotions are high, it can actually make things worse. So to answer your question, I would see it in three different ways. One is to um, just familiarize yourself with the scripts in a way that gives you permission to try something different. You know, and just reading them a couple of times can create that kind of flexibility for the next time. The other tip that I would suggest is thinking about this little catchphrase that we use, move from but to because. Oftentimes when our kids are struggling and we want to help them to feel better, either because we feel their pain or we have to get out the door, for example, we might lean into their emotion a little bit and say like, oh, I can understand why you wouldn't want to put those socks on, but you have to. So what I found is that um, parents have really appreciated this little uh, catchphrase, moving from but to because. I can understand why you wouldn't want to put those socks on because they make your toes feel funny along the line and because you really wanted to wear the pink ones and because you don't like the ankle length. And so moving from but to because will create more flexibility in the moment, which then will make your child um, more amenable to then getting in the car, you know, putting the shoes on, going outside. Hmm. The third way is practicing, um, writing out sample scripts um, a couple of times. And then the best way actually is getting it wrong and circling back to give it another try. And You mentioned that earlier when you talked about, you know, parenting moments that you may not be proud of. We actually dedicate a whole chapter of the book to that because, first of all, we don't want parents to have to live with those memories of having said X, you know, that was like not the best in in a situation. No one needs to live with that. And those situations can be fixed so easily. And so what we'll say to parents is, okay, if you have a moment where things don't go so well, Go back to the structure, work it out on your own, and then you can go back to your child the same day, the next day, a week later, years later, and say, hey, remember when you said this and I said this? I've been thinking about it. What I 
could have said was, geez, I can imagine why you wouldn't want to go back to school tomorrow. Because one, because two, because three, I believe in you. I'm here with you. Let me help you develop a plan. So that do-over, it can be just as powerful as getting it right the first time because you're telling your kid, I really care about being my best parent self for you. I really care so much about that interaction that I thought about it. I went back to it and here I am, you know, trying again. And that means you can too. That's great. I love that. And it seems like that word, because I've never heard that before, I've heard changing but to and, um, but I really love Mm -hmm. the but to because, because we are validating their experience. And that's like every time we do that, it really does help their defenses just come down and down and down, right? Exactly. I couldn't have put it better myself. And and what we're doing is a form of validation. I do hesitate to use the word validation, not because it's not 100% accurate, though, um, because there are so many different definitions out there of what it means to validate that in the early days when I was working with parents and I'd say like, oh, yeah, try validating their feelings. They would say to me, oh, I do that all the time. And I was really confused because I thought, gosh, it goes against our culture to do this, you know, in such an ingrained way. It's kind of surprising to hear that. And then what I learned was that they they were saying something like, I can understand you'd feel sad, but, or they were cheerleading. And so I actually did a Google search recently on the word validation. And I looked at Google images and there's an image where a woman says to a man, um, the parking lot attendant. And he says, will you validate my parking? And she says, you did a great job, evenly spaced at just the right angle. And I thought, okay, yes, this word, no wonder it's so confusing (laughs) for people. Because culturally, we have so many different definitions. And so for me, putting into words is exactly what you said. It's a way to validate your child. And the sentence that I use to kind of help parents to get there in the way that we're talking about is, I can imagine why you might feel, think, want X, because one, because two, because three. Yeah, that's great. We'll be right back after this quick break. So in our house these days, Darren and I have been working together to up-level our nutrition and healthy lifestyle habits. Maybe it's our age, our changing bodies, my shifting hormones, whatever the reason, I'm here for it. And that's why I'm loving Green Chef, a meal company that makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Green Chef offers gut-friendly recipes each week and is committed to providing a holistic approach to nutrition by offering meals that contribute to the overall well-being of your entire body. Darren and I are particularly big fans of their nutrient-dense, science-backed gut and brain health recipes developed in partnership with registered dietitians that improve digestion, reduce bloat, and also boost energy and immunity. This week's favorites? turkey, black bean, and sweet potato chili, and the Baja chicken bowls with mango salsa. I mean, don't those sound delicious? But if that's not your thing, you can choose from a variety of customized meals to suit your lifestyles with preferences like keto, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, gluten-free, and protein-packed. Whatever you choose, you'll get farm-fresh ingredients, organic whole fruits and veggies, and premium proteins, along with chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes delivered straight to your door. Go to greenchef.com slash 60tilt and use code 60tilt to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. 
That's 60% off plus 20% off your next two months when you use the code 60TILT at greenchef.com slash 60TILT. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body. And so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com tilt for 25% off. So I actually wonder if you could give us a few other scripts. So I love the example that you used about reading. And I think that will totally resonate with a lot of our listeners. Some of the other scenarios, you know, as we're recording this, we're in the middle of this COVID-19 pandemic. And so there's all kinds of stuff going on right now. Uh, Reluctance to do schoolwork, not wanting to do homework, not wanting to attend or pay attention to online classes. Um, So maybe even just taking one of those, you know, I don't see what the point if I'm this is me being a kid, I don't see what the point of doing school is. Anyway, I I never I didn't even like school before. And I've got to do it online. So I I just don't want to do it. Could you give us a script for that sort of scenario? Absolutely. In fact, I just communicated a script like that at home (laughs) uh, in the last seven days because school just started again. And so it would, so first, you know, we want to build a bridge. So put ourselves in our child's shoes, think of them in their best light, why they might be saying this. Well, um, you know, for some kids, it's hard enough to pay attention in a classroom, never mind in an online environment. Um, where you don't have all the structures in place to support you. So that's one thing. Um, the second thing is that uh, there are a lot of potentially fun distractions at home. You know, you have your toys, your games, or maybe your siblings, maybe even your parents are at home. And so, you know, I could imagine that that online learning environment would be especially difficult. So that's my first step is just really, what's the best version of what's fueling this response for my kid? And then the next step would be putting into words. And I would say with a little bit of energy, a little bit of energy, because energy can actually help the depth to which the other person feels validated. And so I might say, you know what, I do not blame you for not wanting to do that online schooling. I can imagine that there are 300 things that you would rather do at home. And I bet it is hard to focus when you have to have your video off and you have to be muted And you just have to sit there and listen for such a long time. And you probably just would rather hang out with us and play cards or do some family time together. And sweetheart, 
I totally believe that you can get through this. It will not be forever. I hear your pain. And so why don't we go into your bedroom and sort out a nice little nook that will at least make it easier for you to get through these next couple of hours of online schooling. That's good. I hope you listeners were taking notes on that. Um, yeah. So you you go through the, I, I, again, I love this. I can imagine that it's just great language and really helping them feel heard, even if they haven't expressed it, but kind of building that bridge. And then I love the transition then to problem solving. It's very gentle and more of like more coaching, right? More helpful than directive. Exactly. Yeah. And it's a balance of both. So, you know, some parents are really, really good at the validating piece, but they struggle a bit more with the limit setting or the problem solving. Other parents are excellent problem solvers and redirectors, but the validating piece is a bit more of a challenge, you know, because of the way they were raised or what they believe about emotion processing, whatnot. And so this process keeps us all in a structured path towards creating the balance between validation, emotional support, and getting things done, practical support. So those three pieces really do work together. One of the analogies that I use is like of an elevator. So if your kid's elevator, emotion elevator, frustration elevator is on the fifth, sixth, seventh floor, and you're trying to reach them with reason or problem solving or logic, that's the kind of stuff that can happen on the main floor. Well, they're on the six or seven floor. So it's not going to work, right? It's like throwing a tennis ball against a brick wall. There's no opening yet. And so those because statements help bring the elevator down to the main floor so that then you can engage with your child in a more productive manner, so to speak. That's a great visual. So it sounds like that logical framework when they're not ready is a pitfall. I know that within each section, you talk about potential pitfalls. What are some of the other more common things that get in our way from executing this in a way that would be most productive? Well, I think that in my experience, both personally as a parent, but also professionally, we are so deeply conditioned to lean away from emotional pain that even after over a decade of doing emotion-focused research and practice, I still find myself wanting to reassure my child's pain. Like it's so amazing to watch it happen inside of myself that it's no wonder, no wonder we are a culture that first tries to reassure people's pain. The problem though is that if someone's feeling sad, mad, or scared and we lead with reassurance, it can actually deepen their sadness, their anger, or their fear. And so I can just demonstrate it for a second, okay? Mm-hmm. So if you put yourself in a, um, let's do a resistance because resistance is something that is frustrating for everyone to deal with and we need better strategies. So if you put yourself in a resistant body, like, oh, I don't want to do this, okay? I don't want to, you know, put the dishes away. And I'll respond to you in a way that's perhaps more typical. And you just tell me what happens in your body below the neck, okay? So put yourself in that resistant body. Okay, sweetheart, you have to do the dishes. It's your turn and everyone is contributing, you know, in this household. And so I just want you to get it done. It won't take long. So do you feel that contraction that might happen? And Yeah, tension. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Okay, so now put your body in that same resistant state. 
oh, like tight. And now see what happens in your body below the neck once more. Oh, I do not blame you for not wanting to put away those dishes. It probably does not feel fair after everything else you've done today. And I can imagine that you're just really looking for a break to connect with your friends on social media, or even just read that book you really wanted to read. So do you notice in your body what happens? Yeah, I just uh, started breathing and yeah, totally relaxed and yeah, very different. And so one of the things is that in our culture, the way we have taught to respond to resistance or emotional pain actually can increase that resistance or that emotional pain. So that's probably going to be our biggest pitfall is just the way we have been conditioned. And that's no one's fault. There's no one to blame you know, for that. In fact, one of the greatest sources of influence for that kind of pattern is World War II and the aftermath of World War II, when we really needed to suppress our emotions, either on the front line, or in times of crisis to get through to survive. But the problem is when that those events were over, when the crisis was over, as a culture, no one was there to say like, okay, now that you've suppressed your sadness, anger, shame, you know, to get through this crisis, now we have to tend to these feelings again, so that we don't end up increasing our rates of PTSD or substance misuse or um, all these other problems that came post World War II. And so this military mentality of emotion processing bled into the parenting context. Um, and it's still it's still here today. And so I, I really want parents listening to do not feel bad if you find yourself engaging in knee-jerk responses or having interactions that are, you know, not so productive. There is deep conditioning that has been fueled by trauma that has made it so that we lean in or we lean out rather from our children's pain or resistance or so on and so forth. Wow, that is fascinating. I thank you for sharing that example. And I think talking about that in the context of our experience with our parents or just in World War II, it just makes so much sense that this is, you know, I wouldn't say that this is the natural human experience, but a conditioned one for sure. Mm -hmm. So interesting. Wow. We'll be right back after this quick break. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. 
However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. So I'm just looking at the table of contents for your book and the whole part two, you kind of introduce the, the approach and then part two, you really tackle, I love the way you again, organize that you tackle some of the most common things that we might hear as parents, you know, the, I don't want to's I miss, um, you love my sister more, you know, um, I can't decide I hate my life. So you tackle some of the bigger themes that a lot of parents are going to be dealing with. I'm wondering, I just even want to know what your, I don't know, favorite is the right word, but what are the ones that that come yeah. up the most for you that have that tend to be the most powerful? Well, there. okay, so there's probably two or three that are my favorite. Um, I got a terrible mark. Now we divide that chapter into two sections. In the first section, the child actually earned a low mark. But in the second part of the chapter, we have another scenario where the child actually earned a very high mark, but they felt like it was a terrible mark. And we wanted to include this chapter because kids who have perfectionism tendencies or who are gifted have a different experience of what a terrible mark is. And oftentimes they are invalidated because it doesn't necessarily make sense compared to um, the average in the classroom. So a kid might say like, Oh, I got a terrible mark. I only got an I only got an 89 out of 100. And what's the knee jerk response that's most common to that is like, Oh, my gosh, are you kidding? That's an awesome mark. So many kids would be so happy about that. Well, those kids, you know, they don't get to have the experience of feeling understood, quite often. And trust me, I have said those words, you know, for, so I'm just as guilty as anyone else. But instead, imagine if they could hear like, oh, I totally get why you'd be disappointed by that mark, because you are a kid who works hard to get as high marks as you can. And that is really something that you value. It's part of your identity. And I know that your dream is to get into one of the best universities. And so it totally makes sense to me that you might be disappointed. And sweetheart, now we're going to move into emotional and practical support. I totally believe that this mark is not going to define you. And if you want, we can look over what you didn't capture or even ask your teacher for some extra help. 
So I really like that chapter because mm-hmm. it kind of gives some love to, you know, kids who have those perfectionist tendencies where the knee-jerk responses might be more of what they experience more of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. I love that too. So, okay. I want to make sure that listeners know how to find you. But before we get to that, I don't know, I, I hate putting you on the spot. But if is there one kind of big takeaway for listeners who are getting a lot out of this? And listeners are often like digesting all these podcasts and then trying to have that takeaway that they can really apply in their life. What's the one thing you hope that they take from this? I think that, um, you know, the but to because strategy is far and away the strategy that the most parents have come back to say, like, thank you. I couldn't remember all the other things that you said or that I read, but I was able to remember to move from but to because. And even though I couldn't think of three reasons why my child might be having a meltdown because of the snack that I gave her, I was able to come up with two. And I saw that decrease happen. So that's the first kind of major takeaway. The second major takeaway is about circling back, about doing over. You know, when we were writing this book, I generally speaking, you know, I was like worried about being one more voice in the parenting world about this is what you should do. And parents are stressed out enough by being the best that it can be, especially in our current circumstances. And I want parents to know that do-overs can happen and they can be just as meaningful, if not more meaningful, than getting it right the first time and that there is no time limit. I've done do-overs with parents 30 years later and they have been absolutely transformational. No statute of limitations on do-overs. Exactly. I appreciate that reminder. I'm a big believer that our mistakes, our parenting fails, of which I have many, are opportunities to learn. And I've learned not to beat myself up for as long anyway, um, when I have those. But I really just appreciate you reminding us about the do-overs and, and also that it's never too late. That's really important. Absolutely. And the truth is, our children don't want us to beat ourselves up, you know, even in the toughest moments, their love for us is unbelievably unparalleled, you know, it's so huge. And so the more we can have patience with ourselves, compassion for ourselves, um, the more time we take for ourselves to kind of get back to baseline, the better it will be for everyone. That's great. Before we go, then again, listeners, the book is called What to Say to Kids When Nothing Seems to Work. I will have links on the show notes page for that. But where else can listeners connect with you on social media or where else do you hang out online? Well, we do have a website and it's called mentalhealthfoundations.ca. And there's a section for caregivers. And In that website, we provide all kinds of free resources, videos, scripts, um, so that parents can interface with the material in a different way. And that's available 24-7 at no cost. And so that's www.mentalhealthfoundations.ca. There's dozens of hours of uh, video segments available there. Uh, We're also on Twitter what to say to kids with a little two instead of T-O. 
Um, so I imagine those will be in the show notes as well. Um, and so, yeah, we, we welcome parents to reach out, to connect, and to use the resources that are available there. That's fantastic. Thank you. And yeah, listeners, I will have all of these links, including the mentalhealthfoundations.ca. That sounds great. I love watching. The more that I watch and listen, the more it starts to sink in. So that's awesome that you have that resource. So um, I just want to say congratulations again on the book. I'm so happy to be able to share this work with my listeners. And thank you for coming by today and walking us through it all. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. Thank you for everything that you do to connect parents and their kids with resources. We really are needing to work together. So I really appreciate it. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. For the show notes for this episode, visit tiltparenting.com slash podcast and search for this conversation. If you like what you heard on today's episode, I would be grateful if you could take a minute to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or a review. Thank you so much for helping us stay visible so people who would benefit from the show can easily find it. If you want to support the show and help me cover the cost of production, please consider joining my Patreon campaign. To support the show, just visit patreon.com slash tilt parenting. Lastly, if you aren't already part of the online community at Tilt, I invite you to sign up at tiltparenting.com on the box in the bottom where it says join the revolution. Every Thursday, I send out a short email with a quick note from me, a link to that week's podcast episode, and links to five stories from the news that week that are relevant to parents like us. Again, you can sign up and learn more about Tilt at www.tiltparenting.com. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.